0: You find the time to decorate well we both work from home i mean you should see my kitchen. i fried pork chops two nights ago and my kitchen still isn't close to recovery yeah
1: i mean we've had this conversation before though where well i want to have it again you just don't have the constitution to to clean the way that we clean i feel like constitution.
0: i have the constitution Where's the, I clean a lot. I come home, I clean the kitchen. That's right. We have different definitions of clean then. Then I cook, and then I have
1: an hour, two. This is is what I'm saying. This is what I mean by constitution. You say, I clean a lot, Mm -hmm. but your house is still messy by your definition, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. I would say I don't clean a lot, but our house is clean. So there's some sort of delta between my definition of cleaning a lot and your definition of cleaning a lot. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying.
0: I don't know where I disagree. By vehemently disagree. <laughs> I'm not even going to explore any deeper than that. But nope. you're wrong. Okay. I'm innocent. It's not my fault. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dirt, dirt works different in Chesapeake. What can I say? All right. Okie dokie. I
1: guess I can't argue with that. I don't live in Chesapeake.
0: Exactly. So mind your business. <clears throat> what? Yeah. The ending <laughs> didn't really work, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so we
1: both work from home. That's how we find time. Okay. And okay. like I said, the other night... You know, we had two night, two days back-to-back meltdowns, getting off the bus, one kid one day, the other kid the next day, and we had just picked up the tree. So it was like, well, let's-
0: Make the most of this. Right.
1: We'll take the night to just do like a big family Christmas night, and we mm. played a bunch of Christmas specials and decorated the house. Okay. So we actually did it at night. We didn't do it during work hours.
0: Any, um, yeah, you have to say that, don't you? <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> Any Christmas specials that stand out that you feel like are go to's that are kind of I um, have one Christmas thing that I'll I've watched with Indy almost every year. That I think holds up from mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Okay, or what about you? Uh
1: well, I went through the other day and made like a big Plex playlist of just every single thing I could find. Um and the one that stuck out that stuck out to me was uh, the Garfield Christmas
0: special. Does it hold up? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you like Garfield? Yeah, you didn't like Garfield when you were a kid? I mean, the he, Garfield cartoon? Yeah, he was okay, but he never, he was never close to my top. I mean, top, maybe. I, I,
1: well, I remember watching Garfield and then the farm shorts, whatever mm-hmm.
0: it's called. Do you remember Heathcliff? See, I didn't watch Heathcliff. See, that I remember much. Heathcliff more than I remember. I mean yeah, I forgot his name. Yeah, whatever.
1: Garfield. Garfield. I mean I mean Heathcliff was kind of like, what channel was that even on?
0: Cinemax? <laughs> yeah. Um do you need to let your dog they're they're pretty insistent. Yeah, I'll door. let them
1: out. What was the special that you watched with Indy?
0: The one that I've watched every year um with him that I think definitely holds up is the muppet christmas carol.
1: Yeah, see, I was never that's on the that's on my list. I'm not I don't have anything against it. I'm not trying to like censor it from the girls, but Muppets was never my thing when I was a kid.
0: They there. That's the one with uh, Michael Caine, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's got Michael Caine in it. I think he has some of the best gags in it narrated by gonzo who i think is hilarious the The thing with the muppets is there's some weird stuff when i look at it like closely like miss piggy is always unsettling to me i don't know why mm-hmm. and um but gonzo animal um they kind of pull me through and i used to think the show was hilarious i do remember liking the show
1: yeah, but I love the it. like the movies and the specials and all that never never did it for me.
0: Um yeah, you're wrong again. Okay they, 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 you know the the, the show old. that I never understood, I never believed people who would even say that they watched it or liked it. Mm-hmm. And even to this day when people will post about it, I just I can't understand how anyone could genuinely like this thing Mm -hmm. it's gumby yeah i never watched gumby it's just i it it just didn't make me feel good Mm -hmm. didn't make me feel safe watching it i don't know why (laughs) gumby
1: was like a pbs show right
0: yeah and there's something i don't know if it's just claymation is that got me like the things are constantly changing like yeah Gumby just has to take a step, but now his like face is kind of contorted. <laughs> and so and you're just like yeah. they're living in a in a flexible universe that has no that doesn't have enough rules yeah. for me as a kid to feel safe. Right. Like at any point, I feel like Gummy could just turn and look at me and be like, Hi, Keith. <laughs> well, that's the other thing too, is like Gumby doesn't talk. He just like He doesn't?
1: I could have sworn Gumby talks because he, he okay. has a horse that talks, he right? He
0: has a horse that t- I don't. Uh. I
1: haven't seen. I've never watched Gumby, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't, um, I
0: don't get it. I don't get Gumby.
1: Another one. Oh, we, did you watch Bobby's World when you were a kid? Yeah. We watched the Bobby's World Hell Christmas yeah. special. It's, it, that show is bizarre. I remember loving Bobby's World yeah. when I was a kid. We watched it the other night. It's the first time I've seen it and <laughs> probably... 35 years or whatever it's weird it's weird. <laughs> it's weird um and then another christmas special that we'll watch we haven't watched it this year is the mr bean christmas special oh,
0: <laughs> mr love mr bean okay mr bean was something that i remember thinking was funny as a kid yeah As I got older, it very quickly, like, kind of consensus seemed to be he's corny, and, you know, if you like him, you don't have a good sense of humor. So I remember, like, backing off and not wanting to admit, like, I think Mr. Bean's pretty funny. All the little stuff that I've seen, I I think it's pretty good. And I like British humor. Like, I love Monty Python. I used Mm -hmm. to own all the Flying Circus on cassette I remember buying that cassette mm-hmm. series and just feeling so like happy. Yeah. Um and then now with Indie, I'm like, man, would he like Mr. Bean cuz I remember being around his age and being like, right. Mr. Bean's funny. Right. Like, is he? I don't know. Yeah, I I I I haven't watched enough
1: of it recently to say. I think it's if anything it's probably Mr. Bean is probably, like, in the ironically funny category right now. Or, like,
0: good in scenes. I think I think my, my fear is that I show it to him, and out of, like, a 20-minute episode right. or whatever, five minutes are, like, yeah. funny in the rest. But just... I
1: remember loving, to, to the Monty Python point, I had the Mr. Bean VHS box set. And oh. I watched it all the time. I watched it with my parents. They would watch it with me. We were a Mr. Bean household. I had a Mr. Bean t-shirt a t-shirt with just a big picture of mr (laughs) bean's face and my dad would ask me are you sure you want to
0: wear that out in public (laughs) yeah sure enough i did yeah i was big like i remember being a kid watching faulty towers the john cleese kind of british sitcom pbs Mm. used to play like all those weird benny hill benny hill Mm-hmm. I think those are the first breasts I ever saw. Oh, really? Benny Hill. You would always have that kind of like sped up where he like runs around and like a lady ran through without her top on. I remember watching that late And night on PBS and be like, <gasps> "Um, yeah, shocked." Yeah. Um. All right. British humor Christmas specials. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'll get get back to me on Mister Bean. Yeah, we'll watch it. Uh. Um, Anything else? Do you I have one thing that I wanted to touch on before okay. we hit White Lotus? Do you have something? Nope. Really? Your your big long list? Oh, I have stuff on the list. Okay. Um, I feel like we should number the list and then every episode I'll pick a number. Okay. And then you like we, we oh, go to I have that
1: one number. I'll throw out real quick. I just wrote it down yesterday. Julie actually pointed out the pointed this out to me. We we're watching the dog show stuff, or uh-huh. she's watching it, um, and we Good noticed save. we noticed something. I, <laughs> I, I wasn't. No We boy. noticed something that all of the trainers at these dog shows have started doing. All of the trainers, every last one of them, peeing their pants. They all have the athletic sports tape on their arms and legs, <laughs> like they're football players. <laughs> Except it's these, like, middle to late age, frumpy, overweight people who are, like, waddling through a dog Walking by a, by a dog. <laughs> and they've got this sport tape up and down their legs and their arms. It's so just bizarre. I don't even know what the thinking is. First of all, I don't know what that tape does. But I cannot imagine it's helpful to somebody who's barely jogging through a dog, a dog. obstacle course.
0: Yeah, I want to see somebody with eye black, (laughs) right? You know what I mean. They got their fingers taped up. (laughs) That's yeah, that doesn't make sense. I feel. Again, I don't know what that does either. Doesn't it's supposed to circulation or something? Yeah,
1: circulation. I have no. I honestly have no idea. Something about. Muscles maybe? Who knows? I doubt it even does anything.
0: What if the what if it's found that the tape has like performance enhancing scents and oils rubbed on it? It's just a way for them to, to cheat. <laughs> right. It's like baseball where you, you they you start needing to like pat down the the dog presenters. Uh can you check her hair? I think she has some illegal powders <laughs> in her hair. Um the thing that I wanted to touch on really quick is you sent me a series of videos of a guy who's kind of walking Oh, yeah. Analyzing mm-hmm. Braid and The Witness. His name's Jackson something? Jackson Wagner.
1: Jackson Wagner. And I'll then, put a link in the description.
0: Yeah. And then I also wanted to tie it into Pentiment. Okay. Because I was thinking about something playing Pentiment, and then the video series you sent me kind of combined the the, the two thoughts. So... On the one hand, um, this video series is a man walking through Braid and The Witness, going through the puzzles, and then also kind of analyzing the game right, and the themes and all that. I don't watch a lot of playthroughs, like people, streamers, playing games. But the, I have watched a full playthrough of The Witness. I've tried to play through The Witness myself without any... Um, helps Mm -hmm. and finally got stuck on a puzzle for about four years and determined (laughs) at the end of four years that I was ready to just watch or watch another person play it and the thing that I love about puzzle games is it allows me to like pinpoint like scientifically analyze my intellect and like the moment that I'm like, the boundaries of my stupidity. Sure. Like, I can get a microscopic view of when a concept switches from, oh, I got that, to I don't know what you're talking about anymore. And it's a way that I feel about math. Like, I, I'm terrible at math. but I remember being fascinated with math because when I was younger, I'd be seeing, like, pre-algebra or something. And I remember the first... You know, problem that a teacher rowing the boat board is like one plus x equals four, mm-hmm. and then they're like, okay, so now we have a letter. Well, one, and then what is this? Oh, it's three. And I remember being like, w- seeing that written down, and being like, this is so stupid. It's three, <laughs> like uh-huh. whatever. And then kind of like checking out and whatever. And the teacher's going on and on and on, building more and more, po- more and more problems off of that. And then I remember going to class like the next day and all of a sudden it's like, there's not one number in the line. <laughs> it's just all letters. It's all letters. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. How did we get uh-huh. from one plus X equals four to like this jumble of letters and parentheses and uh-huh. oh, this one has brackets. Remember what the brackets do? And I was like, and in these puzzle games, it moves in the same way where, like, this guy will even walk through. And it's, it's so interesting to hear somebody talk about, like, the main mechanic in Braid is you can rewind time, right? Yeah. And he doesn't do it like this, but this is how it feels to me, right? It feels like you watch somebody play that game and they're like, okay, so level one, here we go. Uh, you can rewind time. Now remember, rewinding time means going backwards. Okay. So time usually goes forward. Uh-huh. But now when you push this button, it goes back. See? And so normally when time is, is flowing and, and you'll just go on and on in this like infinitesimal like breakdown of a simple concept. Yeah. And I'll get, my brain will get bored and frustrated mm-hmm. and be like, yeah, buddy. I know. I got it. Let's keep going. Yeah. And then by world 3, I'm the one like wait, what is this do again? Like, wait, what is time doing here? You know, mm-hmm. and you realize there's a there's a vast like difference between like knowing the solution and understanding the problem. Yeah. Right? Like I can sit there and say, "Oh, the answer is I just can force it to get to the end of this level, I did it. But I don't, my brain is incapable of fully understanding what I did. You know what I mean? Yeah. In the same way that that math works that way. Where sometimes it's like, I remember seeing an algebra just muscling through to get an answer. And if it was right, they'd be like, hey, Keith, how'd you get that? And I'm like, <laughs> I have no <laughs> earthly right. idea. I mean, process of elimination that like, And then a guess got me there. And so that's what these puzzle games reveal to me. Mm -hmm. And it's just so interesting that my brain is one that wants to, like, be a brain that can process these puzzles and these concepts and these ideas. But I'm just too stupid. Right. Or I just, like, I don't have the attention for mm-hmm. it as much as I want to. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the, the thing
1: about the, the, the kind of loses me is applying any sort of meaning to it. That's not just, it's a puzzle.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs>
1: Cause there's a lot of like, this puzzle represents the, the, domicity of modern life and blah, blah, blah. blah. And when you do this, it represents that. And and to me, it's just kind of like, oh, it's... I just looked at it as like a puzzle. You're just (laughs) drawing lines or...
0: Well, I remember (laughs) how stupid I felt when I finally realized in The Witness, which The Witness is more like a standard series of puzzles, Mm -hmm. right? And I remember the feeling that I had when it dawned on me that in the line puzzles that you solve, the... Um, shapes dictate what you're supposed to do in that puzzle. Mm -hmm. So starting off, it's just like black and white circles. Mm -hmm. Right. And, okay, circles want to be separated, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like a triangle. And so I remember watching the walkthrough the guy's like, oh, triangles, well, what do triangles mean? And I remember thinking that he wanted to use another shape. Mm -hmm. What are you talking about? What do triangles mean? (laughs) And it's like then he saw he's like oh see triangles want you to do three points of connection before and I was right. like i'm so stu-. like of yeah. course like people would have meaning behind right. their their puzzles that they designed whereas like you my brain is like let's just get to the end of the picture right how do i solve, how do this? I
1: solve this right but the have you watched any of his witness videos yet
0: i did i watched the first like two and um, and then I went back cause I want to, I want to do all of Braid, but I am going to do all of his witness videos. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm on the third one now. And I, you know, I think he does a good job of, of explaining all of that and walking through all of it. And I think, um, the witness is probably more, um, like weirdly more concrete in the theories than the, than braid is at least for me, at least I feel like the ideas in the, in the witness sort of, I can uh, realize them more than in mm-hmm. braid. Um, but the, the thing that has, I, I think I just finished the third one and towards the end of the third one is when he starts, um, he's just a, going back to the opening area yeah. And you just start to realize that, like, everything in the game becomes a puzzle. Yeah. Like, everything is aligned. The environment. Just like, it's not just the panels. Yes. Everywhere you look, you can make a puzzle out of it. And it's just that really sort of opened my eyes to how much of that game I just, yeah, just sort of glazed over and just walked from panel to panel and just kind of,
0: you know what I mean? Right. What What broke my brain is... There are video clips you can unlock, right, right? Yeah, not just the audio. I remember finding the audio right. on my own, feeling so smart. Yeah,
1: it? I think in the third video he plays one of those, either There's, the third or the second
0: one. Yeah, one of the videos is a thirty-minute long, right? Just like lecture. Yeah, I remember watching, just having my mind pull, like it's so good. Yeah, um, but it, it it also like it's so interesting. Like I'm reading that Oppenheimer um, biography, or uh, yeah, biography, and looking at the world through a physics lens it it, again it's that it's that exponential ramp up right where in one of the braid puzzles it shows the image of like the triangle with a necklace around it right of Mm -hmm. a beaded necklace Mm -hmm. and like one side has five beads the other one has like three beads dangling right yeah yeah. it's like the first puzzle of physics where it's like listen you could see in one universe where that then that necklace just rotates around that triangle because gravity would keep pulling, mm-hmm. right, the, the five beads down, but it doesn't because of the, 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 the nature of gravity mm-hmm. and how, like, that was, like, one of the first breakthroughs. But I, I imagine myself just, like, ruthlessly bullying the person that first <laughs> saw that and be like, yeah, idiot, it's <laughs> right. ne- of course it doesn't keep spinning around. But if you ask me, like, why, my brain just doesn't have the capacity to then, like, dig into, well, let's figure it out. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I just can't do it. Yeah, I'm interested in it, which is the thing that's frustrating to me. I just can't, my brain can't do it, you know? Yeah. So, that brings me to the second thing I wanted to say, which is about pentiment. And I remember being a kid and just thinking, like, oh, the, the universe is finite. I can figure it. Well, not I can figure it out, but people could figure it out, right? And the way that I determined that was th- through reading. Like people have collected their observations, their thoughts in literature. So if I just read, I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure it out, mm-hmm. right? So I remember being uh, a younger kid reading, like reading philosophy, reading Shakespeare, and like not really understanding it. You know what I mean? Like doing my best. Right, yeah. And it's like, yeah, I I kind of, I I would get the gist. And and I did enjoy it, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't just like eating, forcing myself to eat vegetables or whatever. But I remember I did that because I thought that if I did that enough, I would figure it all out. Mm -hmm. The answers would be there.
1: Right. I'm going to do it, and at some point, it it is going to
0: click. It is going to click. <laughs> it's not doing it's, it right now. And it's going to click on a bigger level, right. too. It's not just going to click for me, but it's going to help, like, reveal the secrets of the universe. That
1: sounds like me.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that that's one of the themes of Braid, right, that um, that the the YouTube kind of pulls out, which is, you know, it's kind of about someone's quest for this unattainable truth Mm -hmm. and how in the pursuit of that truth you find like that that's a that's a quest that's never going to be complete you know you just can't know it all Mm -hmm. you can't like meet god you know yeah and uh and so growing up i definitely like believed in that really pushed for that and then i remember meeting people as I got older and people like didn't give a shit about Shakespeare who would say something that was like, damn, that's smart. Mm -hmm. And that's smarter than anything I've ever thought of. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or they can say it in a way that I find much more like intelligent than what I'm doing, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you also find people who are like, wow, this person can read, you know, these philosophical texts in their uh original language and they're absolute assholes you know what i mean right. or i don't want to spend time with them you know what i mean i remember being in college and like having a philosophy professor and i was like this guy's a yeah dork right. and like a jerk you know what i mean and so i uh i i, I did that that started not to not make sense to me you mm-hmm. know what i mean and uh and so you you kind of end up going in the other direction where it's kind of like, you know, what, what's worth my time and my effort? You mm. know what I mean? And my energies in this way. Then I play a game called Pentiment, right? And Pentiment is on Game Pass right now. Mm-hmm. And it's all about like medieval era, and it is all like theology, mm. you know, history, like part of the character builder you pick are you like are you from Flanders Mm -hmm. or are you from right (laughs) yeah Munich what languages do you speak what languages are you fluent in and then it's all done in like the the uh, medieval style like you you play an illustrator Mm -hmm. of like religious texts right it turns out to be like a murder mystery that you're trying to figure out what what happened To this uh, nobleman. But uh, man, I'm playing it and I'm like, this person has really just committed themselves to the knowledge of this time period. Mm -hmm. Like, It all feels so real. It all feels so authentic. The, The knowledge is evidenced in a way that's not overly showy or flashy. Like somehow they made it where you can read about the history without it just being like a block text. Like I remember some games where it's like, oh, I can learn the background of this thing, and I push like the info button, and all of a sudden it's like a five-page text pops up, and I'm like, I'm not reading that, you know? But this summarizes everything in like a really clear way. You can really get like a deeper understanding of the saints, you know, and and all these different theological ideas and principles, and the history of the church and all that, and um, you know, it talks a lot about Martin Luther and and all that. And just made me realize, like, there is value in pursuing knowledge like that. You know Mm. what I mean? Like, it's not that the pursuit of that knowledge is is a, a useless endeavor, right? Or, like, a wasted effort. But you have to do it for the right reasons. And it goes back to, like, what I was saying about the moralist idea. Like, looking at White Lotus and analyzing the characters based on, like, well, who deserves what? Well, let's look at what they do. But if you just base that judgment on what people do outwardly, you're completely denying their inner life, right? Mm-hmm. That a good person can still do bad things. Mm-hmm. Bad people also do bad things, right? But you can't just look at what somebody does and say, oh, well, they are a bad person because they, you know, did drugs or because they tried to have sex in a church, right? Um, you you have to dig deeper and be like, oh, no, they really are a bad person like... Um, who I keep forgetting his Cameron, name. Cameron, mm-hmm. like, like like Cameron, who is both acts bad and is a bad person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so playing Pentiment made me kind of realize, like, I think that I pursued that knowledge for the wrong reasons, which were an an outward effect. I thought mm. in uh-huh. reading the stuff that it would like reveal the mysteries of the universe or help me understand things. And in, in that way, it wasn't for my own personal gain, right? It wasn't serving like a personal interest that I had necessarily. Mm-hmm. It was all in this pursuit of this other thing. And it and it just made me realize like, oh, you know, I I wish I could do it all over again. And I and I probably would still devote my energies to reading all of that archaic shit. You know what I right. mean? like I, I I would still go back and like read what I've read and 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 try to understand it, but I wouldn't do it with the goal of anything other than my own personal you know edification mm. or, or interest. yeah, and then I think in that pursuit, you can actually create something of value. If you're not trying to solve the world for everybody, and you can make braid. Or the witness, right? And you can embed your meaning, and you can leave it there to be discovered, and to be found, and to be explored, or um,
1: misinterpreted,
0: or misinterpreted, and you can be okay with that. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, or you can do pe- pentiment and just kind of like lay bare. Hey, here are the fruits of my labors, right? Um, without that that feeling of, um, you know, what what you would largely apply to people of these pursuits of of like um what's the word I'm looking for arrogance mm-hmm. what's another word for that where someone you know what i was talking to somebody the other day and you know what word came out um we were talking about coen brothers and uh high hat we we're talking about miller's crossing uh-huh and the and the phrase hi hat gets thrown out a, a lot where mm. you're trying to like one-up somebody you're giving them the high hat you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're feeling better than somebody so right now in my brain the only two <laughs> you know adjectives going through my head are arrogance and high hatting and hamburger and somewhere between between arrogance and <laughs> high hatting somebody is the word i'm looking for when you're smart and you know it and you want people to know that you're smart yeah exactly
1: um, so you're liking pentiment.
0: Yeah. And I, I think I struggle too with, cause I know there's a podcast that you and I listen to, or I, maybe I'm the only one who listens to it now. No, no. Um, the besties, when they first talked about pentiment mm-hmm. and, uh, Justin McElroy, right. was basically mm-hmm. like, this is boring. Mm-hmm. This kind of sucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. And th- there's something about, like, I get it. For them, they play way more games than I play, mm-hmm. you know? For Pentiment, I, like, would, I I had I have to take a pill in the morning. I take a pill, drink water. <laughs> right. I had to wait to eat breakfast. And yeah. I would sit down and play Pentiment for a half hour. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think th- they
1: came around on it. Well, yeah, the, I don't the, know the if others. Justin did, but the other guys did, right, right. Um, so there's that, but yeah, I was, um, because you mentioned Somerville and Pentiment both came out on Game Pass in the same time, right? And I played a little bit of Somerville,
0: and we we played a little bit of that two nights ago. Yeah, Indy hates the camera perspective. Oh, really? He he like. He rarely does this, but I started it, handed him the controller, and like 15 minutes later, he's like, "Here you go." <laughs> I was like, "Okay." Oh. Yeah, the
1: game just didn't click for me for whatever reason, and uh, and then in that Besties episode, Griffin kind of summarized basically how I was feeling about Somerville in that it just wasn't clicking; it was kind of boring. The you know the whole mechanic about changing the light, and then doing whatever just wasn't, you know. Interesting. Interesting, yeah. which I was totally on board with. And then they started talking about Pentiment and how Pentiment boring that game is. And so I was just like, okay, like, <laughs> I'm just not playing either of these. <laughs> and I just deleted both <laughs> of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, but Pentiment to me works well as like a, like a, you, you I, I can't imagine myself like playing two hours of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But playing 30 minutes and, like, going through the world and seeing the artwork. And for me, with, like, my already, like, theological interest, mm. it, it really was hitting. And it also was really affirming, right? Yeah. That, like, if you're interested in something, go. there's value in you exploring whatever that is. But just don't do it with the idea that it's going to, like, be the skeleton key that, you know, unlocks mm. everything. On the other side of that, really quickly, I'll just say, I went on a new book hunt. I got a, a series of books I'm How many books right now. are you still reading? <laughs> Why this, are you looking for a new this book? This is for <laughs> the future. This is for the future. Uh-huh. Just trying to scout ahead a little bit, right? And in my scouting, I came across surrealist literature. Uh-huh. And surrealist literature, you've actually probably read a little more than me, like, Bolsonaro is one of them. The Savage Detectives, which you read, I think you right. bought two six six six, but you didn't actually read it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, David Foster Wallace, right? All mm-hmm. oh, that people love House of Leaves. This book that I've read, that right. I that honestly, it just didn't click with me. You know, House of Leaves. I'm sorry, I don't get it. I'm mm-hmm. too dumb. And surrealist literature is something that I seriously bounce off of. I I haven't truly enjoyed a lot of it, and there are these books that people keep swearing are like, they just got translated into English. You have to read them. They're mm-hmm. like the the pillars of surrealist literature. And then I w- watched somebody review one of them just to get a better sense. It's mm-hmm. like, it's just sound, I found the word. It's so pretentious. It just, it, it, it feels like that type of literature is for the purpose to show you how smart the person is. Right. Because what is being done is basically there are no rules. And I'm going to show you that there's no rules Mm -hmm. by this narrative that is not going to follow rules. But also, it then just, to me, kind of reads like stream of consciousness. It's like, yeah, if I knew how to, like, diagram a sentence and know how to pick good words, too— you know a child could write surrealist literature, right, and yeah. you know what I mean because you just like page to page you just change your story, you follow whatever, and my brain just doesn't have patience for for that, even mm. though i'm I'm intrigued with the concepts but the execution instead, give me pentiment mm-hmm. something that's firmly grounded in like history, reality, I can relate to and and hit some of those themes rather than me reading yeah a. A 1900 page novel with footnotes that act as a second novel that I'm supposed to get excited about. Or, like, there's this book that people have been recommending where it's like a travelogue, but it's all through fictional cities. Mm-hmm. So, you basically get to read this person's accounting of a fake city, but written as if it was like a real city. So, lots of world building. Hey, you get to like dig into these details of this world that doesn't exist. I could, I don't care. Right. Like kill somebody in one of them. Then. Yeah. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like right. I don't want to read 1900 pages of like architecture. Right. And it's like in the end, it's like that I made all that up. Isn't that crazy? Right. Like again, is a thought experiment. Right? Yeah. It's like all that thought experiment stuff.
1: I don't have time for that. Right. That's like the game of Thrones books where it's like, There's a lot of really good, interesting, like, uh, dynamics, and there's, like, a really interesting storyline happening, and then there's a 1,000 pages of, like, the buttons somebody was wearing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or, like, how a meat pie is cooked. (laughs) It's like, I don't want to read about this. You know, yeah. See, for
0: for you, I'm see. I'm into that stuff. Like exactly, give me give me all that stuff in a narrative where like everyone could die at a wedding, right? And it's like, oh man, I'm on board because yeah, through the boring stuff, I'm like, well, I could just turn the page and all of a sudden a dragon is coming in like mm-hmm. eating a bunch of people. That sounds cool, you know yeah. what I mean? So I'll like keep reading for that stuff. But yeah, if you just give me like, this, a so blah. these
1: are those books except without all of the killing,
0: <laughs> no killing. <laughs> it's just like. I invented this whole uh wardrobe. Like isn't this You're amazing right. yeah. how I picture what I'm, <clears throat> what I'm explaining to you and it's uh, I don't want to. Yeah. I'm gonna grab a quick tissue, but I'm done. I sure. don't know if you want to jump into White Lotus.
1: Um yeah. Okay, so episode five. That's what we're on, right? Episode five is called uh the sex episode. <laughs> This is the episode where the everybody just has everybody sex. sex. It opens with a sex scene. It closes with the sex scene.
0: We were, we were. Promised. Ace got
1: the memo. Yeah. Apparently,
0: well, I like that he got turned on when her feet were up on me. So <laughs> right? his mind is like, I'm involved. Like, oh man, get yeah. Um, uh, so a lot of sex in this
1: episode. It's called that's amore.
0: The uh, the opening titles promised us some sex, so we finally got the payoff. Yeah. Um okay. Um Yeah, overall impressions. Uh overall impressions. I I feel like this is every series episodic uh, you know every episodic television series has a transition, mm-hmm. you know, episode. I definitely felt like this is the transition episode where last Really? Yeah, last episode we all built we were saying like all the characters feel like they're there's this like rushing towards this mm-hmm. kind of apocalyptic ending, like you know we can feel the feel the tensions between the characters and we're starting to see that momentum to the end. Mm-hmm. This one then felt like all right, now here's some of the stuff that's gonna kick kick that off, right, yeah, so again no for me no real payoffs right we get yeah, sure. little things like Cameron touching Harper's right. leg and her not necessarily refusing him immediately mm-hmm.
1: seem she seemed like a little confused but yeah definitely not yeah
0: yeah so like if you go down the list it's it's just like people are now like either acting out these kind of latent you know simmering feelings and ideas and 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 all that um but yeah i mean where were we from the beginning of the episode to the end yeah yeah we're we're i'm expecting next episode to start having a lot of the payoff for what we saw what we were building to in the last one we saw in this episode next episode i think is going to be the yeah the the start of the crescendo
1: yeah i think and I, i you know i keep saying this i'm i'm sure we keep talking about it but the what's interesting to me is the first season was was kind of just like an un, uh, ensemble like every episode just kind of felt like you're just hanging out with these characters and it didn't necessarily feel like you were building towards anything even though the it opened the same way this season does where it's somebody's dead and you don't know who people and are- so that's kind of hanging over the season whereas this second season has very has felt very different in that it it it's kind of felt like it's been ramping up from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It it almost feels like um there's that uh tone or I don't even know what the idea is, but it's the the there's like a sound that it it keeps getting higher pitched, yeah. right? And it never like just goes away or whatever, it's just constantly getting higher and higher pitched. That's kind of what it feels like to me. And this episode, I just felt like more of the same. I think you you know you're right in that some of the stuff does start to um, we do start to get like some definitive actions to move the the story forward. So, uh, you know, as an example, um, Harper finds the con or Ethan finds the condom wrapper at the beginning of the episode, mm-hmm. right? Which then leads to this confrontation uh, that I thought was really interesting. Um, and it had a, I I thought the, the thing that kind of seemed to me to be, uh, kind of nestled in there is, um, I can't remember if Ethan said anything explicitly, but there seemed to be a little bit of a, uh, uh, question around whether or not he actually lied. To Harper. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a a lie by omission. Mm -hmm. So is that actually lying? I mean, I feel like the answer is very obviously yes. (laughs) But that kind of felt like the angle they were taking with that confrontation.
0: I also want to ask you a very basic question. Mm -hmm. Do you think you could have talked yourself out of that situation?
1: No. So do Oh oh, you mean in terms of like Talked yourself out in terms of of like uh, in, in terms of like convincing Harper that I didn't actually do anything,
0: right? Like if, like if you and and Julia were in a situation right. like that where you know you had a night out and your boys got rowdy mm-hmm. and you tried to do bro code for a little bit, but now it's coming out like you got a rat on your butt. Do do you feel like Ethan was? always going to fail in that conversation? Do you think that there's a way hmm. for him to have, like, oh, no, he could He could have said this, he could have done that. I think he could have gotten out of it.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't know if just by, I just think the nature of the situation and then just, like, basic human nature, I don't think there is any way to get out of that situation without the other person still being you know, at best like skeptical. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. To to me, it was like the chink in the like certain, you know, faults in a relationship are repairable. And then some are, I think, could be terminal. Yeah. And that is definitely one of them. Like once you awake in your partner, this idea that you are not satisfied in the relationship then you have now opened the door for their own mm-hmm. levels of dissatisfaction to like grow outside the bounds of your relationship mm-hmm. and you can pretty much call it yeah so I mean? that like, was
1: something that i wrote down mm-hmm. um do you think that there's any way that this marriage between ethan and harper just in the universe of the show is it salvageable or is this you know by the end of the season they're splitting up
0: i think not with the way that harper took it i think the only way is for harper now i think that there's a way for harper to to have stood by her guns and say that was a shitty apology Mm -hmm. that's not enough like we're going to talk about this some more and and still like gotten through it but for her to take it and basically say Oh, you know you're not done sowing your wild oats, like mm-hmm. didn't have enough of it in college, well, okay, what if I decide the same thing for me yeah like what if if I want to sow some oats now right you know that that to me is like a poisonous additive to to the relationship mm-hmm. and there's no way because then you're opening up the door of like. Let's try and get each other satisfied with this relationship again. That door was open. Oh, and let's close it. And let's forget that we have the opportunity to sleep with other people. Mm -hmm. I could have had that experience with those women. You can have this relationship or this experience with Cameron, Mm -hmm. right? Let's close all that door and like be happy again with us. No, Mm -hmm. no, especially not with what they had, right? Yeah. Where it, it didn't seem to be providing enough of that security for either of them right before. Mm -hmm. And even if you could, you know, close the door for that to then not be a pathway that could be opened again later on when things get tough, where it's like, you know, I could have, you know, slept with those sex workers in Mm -hmm. Italy. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go do that now. Like he could say that in a few years or or she could. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I view it as a terminal Terminal development in their relationship.
1: Uh, One thing about that scene that I thought was really great, and I I don't know if it was just like you know one of those things where it was like, it it was an accident. He broke character, but we decided to leave it in. Mm -hmm. But there is a moment where, um, they're having that, um, Ethan and Harper, Ethan and Harper are having their confrontation in the hotel room. And Ethan says something along the lines of like, um, "You should you should feel good that I didn't do anything." Just yeah. like the lamest exactly. possible excuse. Yeah. And there's just like a little giggle, giggle out of him when he says it. That is so perfect <laughs> yes. because he obviously knows he's so full yeah. of shit. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And I. I just thought that moment was really great. i oh, don't yeah. I don't know if they wrote that in. you know it makes perfect sense for
0: them too, but <laughs> when he said that too that's that's funny he said i I had the exact same feeling because it seems like that I'm very like trying to be very aware of the excuses that people go to mm-hmm. and as soon as you reach for like a an untrue excuse A uh, well that's just based actually on, yeah. yeah yeah then <laughs> then you're done and that was his yeah. He should have stayed, like, and, and he shouldn't have gotten defensive, right? right? Now, I also thought it was funny because Harper picked up on what I picked up, which is, like, you watch your friends have sex? <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. was yeah. like, 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 so what, did you just sit s- there and watch? And watch? Yeah. yeah.
0: And he didn't have a good answer, right? Right. Where he's like, uh, well, they were in my room. And it's like, no, dude. Yeah, you don't watch your friend have sex. We should do, like, a Mr. Rogers for adults. And that Right. Would be episode. <laughs> Don't yeah she sure. also had
1: the uh that great line about i was gone I was only gone I was gone one night and you did Molly what with did. hookers <laughs> which is a really great way to frame it and then something else that I thought was interesting, i guess this is more i guess this is after this scene, but Harper's the only person who knows everybody's secrets now, right she knows Cameron's. She knows Cameron's well, especially
0: secret. Once he started stroking her leg, right. right? She knows
1: Daphne's secrets about the trainer and the kid, and blah blah blah. blah.
0: I want to talk about that scene too. I thought yeah. that was very good.
1: And then she knows. I guess Ethan doesn't have any sort of damning secrets like that. And I but guess all of I, her suspicion against him right. is
0: now at like its highest level. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. So then let's move on to the. You know. So then she. You know. They start getting drunk, and Harper is kind of uh, just letting loose or whatever. They have that dinner scene, and then during the scene, when she's asking all these super uncomfortable questions, Cameron starts to uh, uh, kind of try and one-up her, I guess. And then he does the thing. Was there another moment in the season where he... I feel like there was another moment in the season where he touches her inappropriately.
0: Uh, there, when she's swimming, he comes and grabs her from yeah, underwater. Yeah, I think I'm I am I mean he changes in front of her, though. exposing his penis. Not cool. Yeah, he grabs her in the water again. Not cool. He strokes her like there. Those are the three. That yeah. Stay not so what did you
1: make of 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 that? Because to me, it kind of I I feel like you can read it both ways in that. It could very obviously just be hinting towards, like you said, uh, uh, or even what Ethan was saying earlier, and that Cameron is try- tries to sleep with every girl that Ethan's interested in. It's like a power play. Harper could be looking at it as like a way to get back at Ethan. But uh, to me, another way that I sort of took it, and maybe this is just like a a side commentary or whatever is it kind of read to me as like this is what like sexual harassment looks like, mm. you know what I mean mm-hmm. It's not a big flashy thing, it's not done by some guy that is like obviously just like an evil person that you can't stand to be around. you know it's done in public, and it's like so shocking that it's like you don't even know what to do, yeah, you know what I mean it.
0: yeah, you know it's funny that you say that because you could also view if we're thinking about themes of the episode, you can, that's the way that I thought about Valentina. Right. That's workplace harassment, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like she is moving someone because of her own sexual desires, right? She's foisting those sexual desires on an employee who probably doesn't feel comfortable not taking the, the jewelry that she bought her who doesn't feel comfortable not, you know, accepting her, um, you know I- engaging her in conversation, mm-hmm. stuff like that so that that's also another version I, I was thinking about that as like sexual harassment but you're right yeah that that is absolutely an exploration of that kind of overt power dynamic sexual harassment right yeah. where it's like yeah again like when people debate about louis ck and like what he did and trying to like it's like Listen, man, pulling your penis out and starting to masturbate in front of somebody is an aggressive act that you can, like, try and play out, like, oh, you know, yeah, like, what are you going to do? Right. That, yeah, you don't know how to process it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, staying in the room or whatever. Yeah, what are you going to do? How do you respond to that? Yeah. Yeah, and you can't you can't downplay that, right? You can't make that seem like a funny, weird thing to do. Like, no, it's it's aggressive. It's... It's hard to process. Right, yeah, yeah.
1: and, and like part that. of the wrongdoing is not just the act in and of itself. It's the fact that you're putting somebody in a, you're forcing someone to be, like, in a compromising position. You know what right. I mean? Like, you're forcing them to make a decision that they never wanted to have to make. Yeah. You know, like, you, and that's maybe part of the power play of it, but, like, Cameron is sort of... Uh, Forcing Harper to either just keep her mouth shut and wait for him to stop, or to be like just stop the dinner room and ruin everything, and and then it's her fault for freaking out. You know what I mean?
0: Well, and what's also interesting is there's a there's a narrative that Cameron is trying to present that could also say like his marriage has never been in more danger than mm-hmm. this moment. Right. Mm -hmm. He wants Ethan to honor the bro code. He is, you know, worried when Harper starts kind of talking more openly about what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't want the sex workers to, you know, be eyeballing him or be around them too, too much. And in the midst of all that, he still strokes Harper's, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, like, that that either shows that he is, like, that's compulsive mm-hmm. or that he is not as worried as he's pretending to be and maybe reinforces the ideas that you and I had where, like, they are, Daphne and Cameron are con artists in some mm-hmm. way, trying to con power positions out of this other couple, trying to con them out of their money or influence or whatever. But it makes you feel like they they are putting on a front, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um okay, so then we have the moment between um Harper Harper, I don't think she explicitly says I know something happened. I think she says something along the lines of like, I think something happened while we were in Noto to Daphne. And then that's when they have the conversation about, you know, go get yourself a trainer. And then she shows Harper a picture of her trainer, quote-unquote, and it's actually a picture of her kids. Yeah. Which, so we're supposed to believe that, or that's uh, sort of revealing that their first kid, she has a kid with her trainer, basically.
0: So you took that as her trainer's kid.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How did you take it? Because she's, she's, she's going on and on, and she's saying, uh, describing this trainer that she has. I'm, I'm going to show so you a picture stupid. of it. i stupid. And then, look, to be honest with you, I didn't pick up on it either, and, but that was literally the first thing Julia said. As soon as it revealed the picture,
0: oh. she was like,
1: oh, so she has a kid with her trainer.
0: Wow.
1: So how did you take it then? You just took it as like an honest mistake? She's a little, you know, tipsy or whatever?
0: I took it. That is absolutely true. Hold on. My, my brain truly is catching up.
1: Because blonde hair, blue eyes, looks nothing Not Cameron. like Cameron. Right. you absolutely so right. And so that's sort of her... Sign.
0: ...way of getting back. So, yeah. What... The way I took it was, is as a dual message mm-hmm. number one um i am here for my kids mm-hmm. number two yeah i really do have a trainer you don't need to see a picture of my trainer right. you know what i mean or or also like i'm not as stupid to keep a picture of my trainer in my right camera roll you yeah. know what i mean so so i got kids and i have this trainer on the side you should get a, get, get a trainer. But with what she says when she's like, sometimes I spend more time with him than, than Cameron, makes you feel like that dual relationship, like that the trainer's not just a side, you know, kind of laying off steam, mm-hmm. but he really is potentially like a father to her kids. One of her kids. At least one, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think... What that does, too, that's really interesting is that you from the beginning, you get that Cameron is like a schemer and that something more is going on than what he's putting on. But Daphne, I feel like from the beginning, just appears kind of like a stupid
0: idiot. (laughs) Well, and and now you agree that she is no longer... In terms of, like, character she reveals, seems to be, like, more of a schemer than exactly, Cameron is. Exactly. That, that right. in, in terms of, like, character reveals, she's had the most movement, mm-hmm, I for think, sure. of anybody. Mm-hmm. And now seems to be, which goes back to my original theory, which I want to double down on right now, she is going to be the mastermind behind the, the murder the of nurse. at least Cameron. At least Cameron. Mm-hmm. And it is so that she can live her life with her trainer. Okay, And if I had to... You know, predict the narrative. It would be something like, "I know that you have a kid with this trainer, but if you leave me, you get nothing, mm-hmm. and I also don't have anything. But if you stay with me, we can project this narrative and maybe, maybe get get something mm-hmm. out of scam these people out of sca- sca- scam these people, so that this this might be a a kind of last ditch effort on their on their part to get some legitimacy to either then perpetuate this fake relationship moving forward or to use that as the ground to which they go their separate ways. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh okay so I have a couple more things about about the about these characters. And this kind of goes along with the, my earlier question about whether or not the Ethan and Harper relationship is salvageable. But I think Cameron is very obviously a person who is not going to change. He can't change. Um, but Ethan, on the other hand, is someone who, you know, is he capable of change? Is he going to change? He obviously has to change something if the relationship is going to survive. And this, this, the, um, the season itself is kind of about, you know, Dom, the, the, Italian dad I think it's Dom Mm -hmm. is kind of has the same uh dilemma is he he has to change to save his marriage is he going to change so do you feel like Ethan is somebody that can change or is he just going to keep up this sort of very meek kind of just kind of lay low and let things happen to me
0: yeah I mean based on him being on this trip and the way that he still engages with Cameron, which I also, I almost feel like it was a little, I, I, I'd i want to interview Mike White about this scene in particular. Mm-hmm. Because he, I almost feel like he wrote Ethan too strong. Because mm-hmm. remember when Ethan's like, maybe you are just intimidated by me because I'm clearly smarter than you. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> Ethan comes out guns blazing, Towards Cameron at the dinner, at the dinner, mm-hmm. and Cameron just like, Well, maybe like he doesn't even get it, doesn't even like phase him. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I, I feel like, with- well,
1: I mean, you say that, but isn't the whole
0: leg touching thing after Ethan says that? Yeah, maybe, but I mean, like he, so he, he is channeling everything into, I'm gonna get your wife. Mm-hmm. Maybe that, yeah. that, that works, but I feel like. For him to have literally no reaction to this guy that he's planning on like <laughs> cuckolding or whatever, when he's yeah. like, maybe you're just jealous because I was smarter than than you. For right. him to like literally not bat an eye. I was like, I feel like that would have worked against Cameron. Like he yeah, would have, he would just, he he would that would have garnered a response. I feel like, yeah. But I mean, Ethan goes pretty hard there to not be meek. Yeah, you know what I mean. For sure. And, the, and there are those moments when he's not as meek as you think he would be, but he also still wants to spend time with them, which doesn't make sense either. Mm-hmm. You know, that at this point you think anybody would say, you know what? This trip is just weird. Mm-hmm. Let's just tell them we're going to, we're going to take one
1: day off. Yeah.
0: One day. Like every time they have like a conflict or wherever he's like, so do you not want to go to dinner with them? Like, yeah, it's like you, 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 she just confronted you about the condom. No, she doesn't want to go to dinner with <laughs> yeah. them. Like,
1: stay in your room and work this out. Yeah. What the hell are you talking about? Why yeah. do you want to go back to him
0: so so much? And that to me doesn't make sense. Other than that's his whole goal on this trip is to like get the upper hand over Cameron mm-hmm. and to show Cameron like yeah my life is better than yours, my relationship is good. Like no problems here, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and he will just basically ruin everything, yeah, to show Cameron that it's all good,
1: yeah uh yeah i can i I hear that I also can just be okay with that just being like a plot device, you know what I mean like these two these two couples need to be together for the story to move forward, so they're just gonna be together,
0: yeah, and i mean we've we've kind of hit on this here i I'm somebody who you know, we we've talked about it before, but it's like I don't begrudge anybody putting up with anything in their relationship mm-hmm. for whatever reasons they have for staying in it. So I'm not gonna be somebody who watches and and, and like Ethan and Daphne need to break up immediately. Mm-hmm. I will say that at this point in my life that that my my ability to like understand that stuff is at an all time low. Yeah. And so I would be you know, I I am kind of internally screaming the whole time like get rip the bandaid off mm-hmm. guys you got yeah. no, what are you what it's, would you got be no fi-
1: kids just move on
0: what would you be fighting for yeah. yeah like coming back from italy having that experience i'd be whoever i had this experience with is out of my life <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> forever <laughs> yeah. how'd you screw up italy like that yeah. you know what i mean how'd you make me feel bad about
1: it yeah young rich couple no kids
0: young rich couple no kids going with friends yeah that friend is out of my life my partner's out of my life. I'm going to I'm going to find people I can go to Italy with and not feel like shit. Mhm. Okay, uh Burton Dom.
1: Not again. Not much to say about these two. They're kind of, you know, doing this doing their same thing. I don't feel like there's too much there. One thing I did write down, Michael Imperioli has Donald Trump hair. What do you think about that?
0: Okay. Picturing in my mind.
1: Next time you watch the show, Look at his hair. It is a Donald Trump haircut. Mm. Where it's like you're not quite sure where it starts or where it ends. You can't you're not quite sure if he's bald or covering something else, covering something up or not. It's just a weird It looks a little bit more normal than Trump's hair, but it, he's he's in the ballpark.
0: Michael Imperioli also has struck me. I remember watching him early in movies too. He always struck me as somebody. I was like, how would this person ever become an actor? They just don't feel like they're actors. Well,
1: that's how a lot of those Italian guys are, right? Yeah. A lot of the Italian mob actors are like, what led this guy to a path of being like, I'm going to be an actor? actor. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, he just doesn't <laughs> seem to be an actor. Yeah. But when I watch him in the White Lotus, I can recognize that he actually is a good actor. Like, Oh, yeah, for sure. I think sure. he's doing a great job. But- and maybe that's part of him like getting older maybe learning some tricks too. But it, it, definitely early on, I felt like he 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 had the air of somebody who wandered on set. And they're just sure. like, Yeah, we need somebody to read these lines. Go for it. Yeah. Uh
1: so when it comes to Dom, one thing I did want to talk about. A couple episodes ago, I th- I think um, I think it was episode two, maybe, I asked you if i think it was the confrontation between dom and albie in the hallway if that was a turning point for dom i.e. he's not going to be cheating anymore he's actually going to try and change to save his marriage and since then he's done that uh-huh um is that something he
0: keeps up he's done it with an asterisk What's the asterisk? The, the asterisk is any time they talks to his own son about himself. <laughs> well, sure. I, yeah, sure. It <laughs> is still this manipulative, <laughs> yeah. weird way of of not owning. Now, Man I was
1: am, talking purely about the infidelity aspect yeah, of it. Then but yes, he talks I, to I his agree.
0: dad, and all of a sudden, all, a sudden, all this insight pours out where he's like, you're the one who, who's made me. Th-. Now, I, I, insight with, again, oh, yeah. The, that, that kind of, ex- those excuses, right? Mm-hmm. He still is somebody who's looking to excuse his behavior and not take ownership of his behavior, mm-hmm. you know, fundamentally. And I think, again, that's like cheating to me is not, is not the thing to evaluate. Like that's something else that I'm, I'm realizing later in life and realizing in this show, to me, infidelity does not necessarily speak to a bad person Sure. Like, infidelity is not always the point. The reason is, why is the infidelity happening, Mm -hmm. you know? And that reveals the type of person who's committing the infidelity. Mm -hmm. So, with him in in particular, I can't pull the act of his infidelity from his inability to take ownership and responsibility Mm -hmm. for his actions. So, until he's able to do that in a very real way with his son, I do think he will continue to cheat. So even if he can remove the physical act of cheating, he can do it. He's fighting the wrong battle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and then he
1: will- It's a character flaw.
0: It's a character flaw. And it goes back to what he told Mia and Lu, Lu, Lucia, right? Where mm-hmm. he's like, I have an addiction. That, that again is him blaming something else. Mm-hmm. Somebody else. He's blaming his dad for not being a good enough role model. He's blaming his addiction. He's blaming all these things, right? Mm-hmm. But he's not taking ownership. So, yeah, to me, he's way to way to put up a good fight in the short term. But you're, you're the battle's the other direction, buddy. You're fighting. Sure, you're chasing windmills. But it does kind of walk that line of like, how do
1: you take? How do you take ownership while also still acknowledging like these things are what made me the way I am. Because he does have a couple moments where he says, you know, where he, I think he tries to say, like, I'm not taking any of the blame in that conversation between him and Bert, his dad, which is a great scene. I I think he has a couple moments where he's trying to say, like, I'm not trying to excuse what I did, but you know what I mean? So it's like, how do you do that? Because obviously the way that his dad was, is a contributing factor to how he turned
0: Well, out. his dad also won't take responsibility, right? Yeah. Like that's that's the through line between the two of them. It, it goes back to like, I think what I was saying about at the beginning about, you know, Braid and the Witness, which is knowing the answer doesn't mean that you understand the problem. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing with Albie, right? He knows what to say. Oh, the Godfather is misogynist mm-hmm. and blah, 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 blah look at the girl. (laughs) He doesn't know why he's saying that though, right? Like he does not, he's not evidencing like a deep knowledge of the factors that he's even trying to address. Uh So yeah, the fact that you can say, I am this way because of my mommy, daddy, Uh I'm this way because, you know, pornography is so easily accessible. It's not my fault that I can just find it on my phone. None of that hits at, the core, right, of, like, you no, know, taking ownership literally means, like, start from the from the perspective, like, I'm a piece of shit. I'm a bad husband. I'm a bad dad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now let me not just say that, but let me feel that. Like, what does it mean to be that, right? What does it mean to hurt those people the way that I am? And then you can start the journey, mm-hmm. right? But you can't start the journey until you, like, swallow that pill and like allow it to affect you. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And he hasn't done that yet. So it's Mm -hmm. like, no man, like you gotta you gotta break yourself down and then build yourself up. There's no shortcuts or else you're gonna be like me in math where it's like, yeah, you got it day one. You show up day three and you're like hamburger. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect timing.
1: Okay. Um do you do you agree with that though? Yes, I do. Better. Um yeah, I think t- to the point there's there is a time, you know, where you have to be just unequivocal, une- unequivocal mm-hmm. and yes, you know, your the the sins of your father contributed to the way you are, but for the time being, keep that shit to yourself and own up to what you did and, you know, maybe Explore that later on when you've repaired things.
0: Yeah, and, and I think you also had something, too, where it's like you can you can jump to the end result of modifying your behavior and then processing the stuff later. Mm-hmm. But you still need to process it. So, like, you and I have talked about <clears throat> there, there are moments in our parenting where we feel maybe the, the representations of parenting that we've seen mm-hmm. flare up. And I find myself like, why am I getting so yeah. frustrated over Indy like spilling some milk right. when he like eats his cereal and then walking away and leaving milk trail or whatever? Like that is a behavior that we can fix, but we can't fix it with me feeling this way. Mm-hmm. So I need to chill out. I need I need to calm down, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, yeah, it's recognizing that, and then I can like jump to the end result of like, I'm not going to freak out over this milk thing, and I'm not going to talk about it mm-hmm. until I'm like totally cool. And it's like, hey, Indy, I'm going to talk to you like this tone instead right. of Indiana. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And so I feel like again, Michael Imperioli could be like, hey, let me take ownership for this stuff, and then I'll process it later. But he, but he needs to he needs to process it. He's not. I don't think he's doing either. Is what I'm trying mm-hmm.
1: to say. Okay, um, I'll be in Lucia. So Lucia has a moment when she's with Mia, I believe, referencing something they said in the last episode. She says something maybe al- we don't get al- along the lines of "Maybe we don't, maybe we won't be punished." And what I took that to mean is that they are one hundred percent, without a doubt, going to be punished. <laughs> <laughs> right. That is a bigger signpost to me than them saying all whores get punished or whatever.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the interesting things is the progression of Mien in this show in this episode. Like mm-hmm. I don't fully understand her excuse.
1: She me, really wants to
0: sing at the hotel. No, her reaction to Giuseppe. Mm-hmm. She gave a man, an older <laughs> man, like an unknown drug. Yeah. That caused him to be hospitalized. Be hospitalized. Yeah. And she's like, "Tee hee."
1: Yeah, you know. What I mean? mean, to be fair, the older man's a creep.
0: Yeah, he's a creep, but but she has has also seen value in that mm-hmm. interaction. It's not he has not he's forced the situation, but he did not force the action. Mm-hmm. Right. So that to me is something where it's like. Man, like, I don't want you to be punished, mm-hmm. but you are behaving in a way that could theoretically be, like, worthy of some punishment, some idea of, like, understand the impacts of your actions against other people. You can't just roofie people. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. If they're, if they're bad people. Yeah. And then take their spot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and use... Sex again to get that like right. she does with Valentina. With Valentina. Uh, something that I
1: forgot to ask that I wanted to ask, that it does involve Lucia. Did you read Cameron still not having money for Lucia as another sign that these people are actually broke?
0: Yeah. So, again, the only other answer is that this is some elaborate setup that he's playing at. Mm-hmm. But, no, I think that he, if he could get them off his case, he would. He would have, yeah. And he can't.
1: Uh, so what was your, so Albie and Lucia spend the day together, kind of establish and build on their relationship. What, how, what was your feeling on Lucia going into the episode with her intentions with Albie and what were your feelings
0: at the end of the episode? I mean, part of it is also trying to analyze how honest she was in, in expressing her desire to like move on from that life, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, you, you, there's a part of me that if I believe that she's being sincere, that she would truly see an a movement towards a more legitimate relationship. Mm-hmm. And I, at the end of last episode, I, Thought that it was more of like, it felt more like a setup on her part. Mm -hmm. Like where she's like, I'm going to ask him for money. I got him where I want him. I'm going to get his money. This time though, they have sex twice. Mm -hmm. And she, she takes money for the first one, but not for the second.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Right. The second time, I think that she fully.
1: Right. Well, the, the. The episode opens with them discussing the money, right? And well, that's, and, and they have confusion because he—that's when Albie learns that she's a hooker.
0: That's the end of last episode, right? He's like, "Oh, I'll give I you the money."
1: It, and, yeah, it, and then so, so in one of the past two episodes, yeah, I, I
0: thought, <laughs> this episode opens with them having sex, uh-huh. and then it moves from that where he like gives her money, and then later in the episode they have sex again, right? But I think that one was no money. I. Ultimately, Uh ultimately, I think it's showing a progression of her opening up to Albie as a potential, like, real relationship and Mm -hmm. not as a transaction.
1: That's interesting because I came away feeling the exact opposite.
0: I, I, you you think she's like just setting the the yes going into
1: this episode? I had the feeling because I think we even talked about it that this uh you know it, this ridiculous idea that she could uh maybe be trying to get her work her way to california somehow and i kind of had the feeling that maybe she is interested in this um relationship genuinely but then some stuff happened during this episode that made me that just sort of um made me raise my eyebrow a bit and one of them is one of them was her going to Cameron to get her money mm-hmm. because that, um, I mean, uh, when he
0: walks by and she like looks at him, it feels a little set, set up for Alby to notice, right? Well,
1: it, yes. And it also reads to me a little bit, I, I guess it, to me, it's just a little contradictory to her wanting to get out of the, the life, the hooker life. Which I get, you know, she is owed, right. She is owed. I get that. Um, The other thing that really um, caught my attention was at at some point early on in the episode, she starts talking about um, maybe it's when they're talking about why she wants the money from Cameron, but she says something about there's a guy who I work for. And if I don't get his money, you know, bad things will happen or whatever.
0: And and she walks by an area where Alby would see him.
1: Well, right. So that that happens later in the episode. Mm-hmm. When that happens at the beginning of the episode, that really rubbed me as manipulative, as her playing into this idea that Alby is think, oh, is and, into wounded birds and wants to rescue her.
0: And Alby mentioned that to her, right? Where he's like, "You don't."
1: <clears throat> I, I don't remember. Yeah, but yeah. Okay, okay. So uh-huh. that rubbed me the wrong way. But then, like you said, they have that moment where they're just walking through town, and then she happens to walk by this guy, and he gets rough with her. And it seems like a really, uh, it's it seemed. Uh, I I guess I could have read it. I read it both ways. I I at my it first struck me as like, oh no, she was telling the truth about that. But then the more I think about it, it's like, well, that's, maybe that's a setup. And it, and it, um, listening to you talk about Mia, it almost seems like they have like shadow um, timelines where Lucia is kind of doing the expert version of conning people out of their money and, <laughs> and Mia is the beginner version. <laughs> she's just learning and she's being sloppy and loud and all that. stuff. That's interesting. So then <clears throat> somebody on the subreddit asked if anybody could translate the conversation that Lucia had with the guy in the street. And somebody replied and said, he asked her if she was having fun, and she said she was. Alicio, I guess that's his name, asks why Lucia hasn't written to him. She says because she went out to take a walk. Alicio also asks why Lucia hasn't responded to him, and he grabs her. She says, what the hell are you doing? Then she walks away. Uh, somebody says, but why did she later push him away? Somebody else says, to make him look like the pimp that she says has been bugging her so that Albie will feel sorry for her and it will be a bigger payout for her, blah, 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 blah. Um, so that that reads to me, right? That makes mm-hmm. sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's it's something that we've talked about towards the beginning is that I guess towards the beginning, with like Cameron and Daphne, where the show is so good at like walking the line between, you know, what is and what isn't true. And there's enough on each side for you to believe whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I'm leaning more towards she's conning Albie, just like everybody else on the show is. All of the Americans on the show are Marx, basically and they're getting conned out of their money.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it goes back to how honest was she in that unguarded moment in a previous episode Mm -hmm. where it feels odd that she would be so false then to just immediately like go against anything she said in those mm-hmm. moments.
1: Yeah. And maybe it's building it up for there to be like an actual moral choice that she has to make towards the end of the episode where it's yeah. like, she's still walking the line right now herself. And at some point she's going to have to decide. She hasn't actually made her, her mind up yet. She yeah. has to decide, is she going to go one way or the other?
0: And and another Mark in favor of that being of Albie being a Mark is the fact that this is a small Italian village we've already seen where like portia cannot get away from tanya even when they go out to eat at a restaurant right so you get the feeling that like if lucia wanted to make a scene yeah there's one ice cream shop (laughs) right at this time of night pretty much every eligible bachelor will be uh, at this you know road and if she walks by she she's gonna see someone who she would know who yeah. she could make look like a pimp. Uh, okay, so let's move on. He, to... he definitely overacted that. Like, if he's not a pimp, because it ends with him, like, looking, like, glaring at her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, very, men- menace- very menacing. Menacing. <laughs> and you're like, if this is just like a guy who she was trying to make look like a pimp,
1: right? Seems like
0: he could actually yeah. be one, because he's. Right. Very fine. Uh, okay, so
1: then we have Tanya, Portia, the Gays, and Jack. Mm-hmm. And they all go to Palermo. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, on their boat.
1: On their boat. The Portia and Jack have sex in the bottom of. Continuously. And then they take um, them to the opera. The There's a great moment where uh, Quentin tells Tanya that the, they're sitting next to the <laughs> Queen of Sicily. <laughs> and then he gives like a very knowing smirk to you know, one of the other, one of his friends. So they're very obviously, you know, um, going going to do something.
0: I and yeah, yeah. They they definitely are. Again, like if you think about connections and themes, like she's the mark. So mm-hmm. you think Albie's a mark. Porsche is you know, a mark. Porsche a mark for Jack. Yeah. They have
1: that scene where they uh dine and dash.
0: Yeah, Ethan and Harper remarks. Mm-hmm. So. Also
1: interesting that that both Portia and Albie, who were the you know linked at the beginning of the season and then go their own ways, both ended up with sex workers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, and then the episode ends with Tanya walking in on Jack and Quentin having sex. Mm-hmm. Um. A couple things that I wrote down. I have a question, first of all. Okay. Is Quentin, is the actor that plays Quentin, is that Bilbo? No. Oh, it's not? No. <laughs> he looks like the guy that plays Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, right? <laughs> yeah, Every no. time I see it, I'm like, is that the guy that plays? Okay, so it's not.
0: The the, the people who've played, there's, um, no, I, I can't remember which one's. Bilbo, but Martin Freeman is the person I think you might be thinking of, in the okay. in the Hobbit, mm-hmm. um, the guy from the from the Well, British I've never office. seen the Hobbit.
1: I've only seen the Lord of the Rings
0: movies. And so yeah, then then you're thinking of Ian, mm. um, some other old Ian Col- British yeah, guy. He was in a lot of Shakespeare stuff.
1: Uh, I love the actor uh, Ian Holm. And then there's a guy. The other guy in the group looks like an Italian Borat, right? Does he not? Yeah. I, every yeah. time uh-huh. I get a glimpse of him, I'm like, is that Borat? That guy yeah. looks like Borat. I think there's one scene that, yeah, made me think that too. Uh, and then there is a great turn of phrase. I believe it was with this group of people where they refer to somebody as an old sausage. <laughs> <laughs> And it reminded me of that clip. I can't remember where we saw it, but it was one kid calling another kid a bozo. (laughs) (laughs) Just a great little insult that you don't think of.
0: Yeah, the old sausage.
1: Um, Tanya and Portia clearly marks, uh, will every season of White Lotus have a scene where someone accidentally discovers two gay guys performing a sex act? (laughs) because <laughs> that was also in the first season
0: oh yeah when they oh, walk into the yeah. office with
1: um what's his face in one of the workers
0: you're right um yeah and that i i actually didn't read the article i saw an article that was like designing that reveal like the sound designers or whatever got interviewed on indie wire i think it was mm-hmm. about crafting that that final scene where she's walking through the house. Mm -hmm. And it it was something that in the moment too felt like very ominous and Mm -hmm. eerie. Like they put a lot of attention and effort into making that moment feel, you know, again, threatening and menacing and and kind of like dreamlike almost, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And it made me wonder why they put so much effort enough to like, write an article about it mm-hmm. uh, on, on her just finding these two men together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> I mean, part of it is like you as the audience feel like you, are you're maybe smarter than the characters because you look at Jack and you look at Quentin and you go, yeah, they're, they're phony. Yeah. Like, you know, but to Portia and Natanya, they feel very real. They feel mm-hmm. very like honest, you know what I mean? And, uh, and yeah, so at that reveal, I was like, if I saw that, I think I'd be like, yeah, I figured, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But Tanya mm-hmm. is like, her whole well, world has been right. just like And
1: they're of- both, Tanya and Portia, as as uh, sort of uh, anti-Tanya Portia is, they're both characters who are looking to be swept away. Who are looking to be sort of, um, you know, taken care of, I guess.
0: Yeah. Do do you think Jack is a sex worker?
1: Yes. Well,
0: oh, I don't think he's uh, Quentin's uh, nephew. Yeah, yeah. But like, I mean, what do you think? Is do you think he was like hired by the group? It, it it again. I immediately thought about him saying, you know, oh, Porsche should come along because it's better than me just getting like my ass grabbed by a bunch of old gamers, right. right? Which made me think too, like, even if I was Porsche at that, I think I'd immediately ask like. Your uncle just brought you on a trip with people who are grabbing your ass, yeah. He's like they're my friend, like right. you know, what I mean like yeah. that didn't stand out to her as being like a like a signal, yeah, there's like, nothing
1: about Quentin and Jack that make you think they're related even even the slightest bit
0: right do you do you feel like Portia should know something else that's up, or do you feel like Jack? Has sold his, you know, kind of role well enough. Do you believe that she, that she too would have her earth shook if it's revealed? Oh yeah, I'm just a sex oh, worker. Yeah, I think
1: she, I, that? I think she probably won't. Wouldn't be surprised. See, I think that she'd be. Surprised. I think she'll be surprised, but I don't think it would be like like Tana, like, you tony, said. like devastating. yeah, right, devastating. Uh, there is a theory going around on the subreddit. So, Quentin has this big, long uh, monologue with uh, Tanya about, was it how he realized he was gay? He's talking about having a a relationship with a a gay cowboy, a gay American cowboy. Right. um, That some people pointed out pretty closely mirrors the plot for Brokeback Mountain. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that might also be a sign that he's just like, uh, you know, con- conning her. Um, what, what
0: are the parallels? They, they just
1: that's kind of the same story. I mean, somebody else point else somebody else pointed out like you kind of can't say gay cowboy, cowboy. without evoking Brokeback Mountain.
0: But I mean, it also fits this person who also, you know, knows deeply, like is is well versed in the arts, right? Mm-hmm. Like he knows. Madam Butterfly right. and, and, uh, knows that that will work on Tanya, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so that, yeah, that he would, and that sly smile when he's like, oh yeah, that's the queen, mm-hmm. um, also shows that he, he has a little bit of daring too, that he would be someone who's like, I'm going to tell her yeah. I live broke right. Right mountain.
1: Yeah. I'm just going to be constantly pushing the limits. So there's a theory on the subreddit that the gay American cowboy
0: is Hold on. The gay American cowboy is um is uh yes. the mm-hmm. singer with the where's oh, the stuff? No, Orville Peck. Orville Peck.
1: Sorry. The straight cowboy that Quentin was in love with, that was the whole point, he was straight, he couldn't have him. Uh, the straight cowboy Quentin was in love with was Greg. He would still do anything so, for Greg, including killing Tanya so, they, so they, Greg they, inherits her money. In. That's yeah. why Greg was so pissed when Portia shows up. She's going to be in the way. So Quentin is having his rent boy distract Portia.
0: I will say looking back in with hindsight, it, it was odd in the moment that he referenced the U.S. If there's ever mm-hmm. a character that, that radiates having never stepped foot on american soil it's quentin right mm-hmm. he feels very like does he have an american accent why am i picturing him with an english accent quentin
1: yeah quentin has an english accent or whatever you want to call it
0: right that that like i just imagine him like growing up in these like posh you know um in environs of england and italy and europe right mm-hmm. that it doesn't seem like he would be you know Griming it out in the in the uh West, but that fits with Greg, right? um mm-hmm. I mean, again, it makes you wonder like, how are we gonna like? What if there is a connection? How are they gonna cram that into a like That's into a true. flashback? That, that like,
1: seems like a lot for two episodes, right? Right,
0: two two episodes. Oh, here's a quick flashback of Greg meeting Quentin. And then hiring Quentin and, and Quentin's whole gang and all that stuff. Yeah, that seems mm-hmm. a little far-fetched. So
1: then somebody um, decides to go back and re-watch every scene that Greg has, including in the first season. They say he was probably hunting Tanya all along. He is introduced in Season 1, Episode 4. Tanya encounters him trying to enter a room with his key card that's not working because it's Tanya's room. His room is the next room over, suspicious, like he's trying to find a way into her life. Two, he likely knows Quentin. When we meet him, he mentions that he goes on a fishing trip every year on a boat with a, quote, good group of BLM guys, Bureau of Land Management. At dinner, he says that he has over 300 rangers in multiple states reporting to him. When we meet Quentin, he invites Tanya to come onto his boat along with his group of guys for a good time. Three, Bob from work is likely Quentin as well. He refers to Bob twice in the series, both times when Tanya is eavesdropping on his phone calls. The first time in the first season, he says it as if he made the name up on the spot. Uh, Bob, let me call you back later. He calls the person on the phone, Bob, a few times leading us to believe that the person on the phone knows what's going on. Other things we hear him tell Bob.
0: And Greg says, I love you when he's mm-hmm. out on the... hmm and he, and that could be, so maybe, yeah, maybe that could be Quentin. Yeah. Uh, let me go back to my notes.
1: Uh, is that all I had for them? Yes. Uh, yeah. And then, so just a couple other things. Someone on the subreddit uh, believes that Valentina moving Rocco to the beach is going to be the catalyst for the deaths somehow.
0: Mm. Is... Is with- Rocco the one in episode one who reports on the body? Yes, mm-hmm. and it also makes sense because
1: Rocco's whole it seems very unfamiliar with the be working on the beach, and how that what's he what he's supposed <laughs> to even do there. With the <laughs> <laughs> um, huh. uh, Rocco rewatching earlier episodes. Yeah, and that's it. There's also a theory that I just wanted to sort of bring up quickly. From the subreddit. There's like a. Significant. I feel like subset of people on the subreddit. Who believe that Cameron and Ethan. Are secret lovers. And the. The. The uh, the sign of that is Cameron. Is that moment when they're in bed together. And Cameron makes the gay jokes. Basically. Mm. Which.
0: I. Uh,
1: it is so far fetched to me it's like it's just seems so clear to me that that maybe it's people don't have experience with that but like that's how guys joke with each other or that's how certain certain set of guys joke with each other right mm. like that's all it is it's just a joke there's there's nothing else to it uh someone uh last thing i've got someone had a, just a quick little post of things that they picked up on rewatching the earlier episodes Uh, Tanya says, wow, look at this view. I wonder if anyone has ever jumped from here. A lot of people think that the gay guys are going to push her off the thing. Uh, Cam is fighting with the airline. Daphne says she wakes up and realizes she spent a lot of money. And Cameron says, like all of the money. Mm. Mm. Tanya says she wants to be like Monica Vitti. And Valentina points out that Monica Vitti is dead. (laughs) Mia is wearing starfish earrings, which is what Valentina buys for her crush. Cam and Daphne's second child was a difficult birth, the emergency C-section, which would be Cameron's kid, compared to the first kid, which uh, supposedly was an easy birth, which is the trainer's kid. Uh, Portia telling Aubie she just wants to live and also discloses that Tanya's dad committed suicide. There's one bin to. Daphne Crawford cams balls. No, no, watching the Grandfather, the Godfather, and the scene says in Sicily, women are more dangerous than shotguns. Hmm. Yes. Uh, Tanya's light sleeping is helping her uh, witness all the shenanigans. The fisherman in the intro, Greg. Oh, this is from the int- like the intro credits. Is right next to the two gay guys. BJ and right after that is two goats who both have horns. <laughs> and, and right after that is two goats who both have horns pounding ass.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um interesting. Okay, so I maybe this goes back to like how stupid I am. But I am like convinced of everything now.
1: Yeah. Like it and that's what I was I that's what I was saying too. It's like it does such a good job of not leaning one way or the other.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I guess yeah, if somebody else wrote a posted like this is why all of, all those theories are wrong, mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, that's interesting too. But yeah, now I'm fully on board with like yeah, Greg knows Quentin. Mm-hmm. This is their end goal. Um, I'm on board with the yep, the the trainer's kid. Mm-hmm yeah and now I'm so on board that i've I've identified two killers <laughs> <You know laughs> right. what I mean? so obviously I've overshot the target yeah uh, so yeah, yeah so what do we have two more episodes, two more episodes that's it yeah i mean i'm I'm expecting again I think like in in our discussion, I think we revealed some of the depth that's there in this ep- episode mm-hmm. this definitely felt like the most like Got to the end, I was like, "Okay, mm-hmm. like you know what I mean." But it's doing a lot under the surface, and yeah. there's enough there. That again, the more you think about it, the more it gives it gives to you. So, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I love it. It's it's great. Yeah, I think these next two uh, episodes are going to be real, real good. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to get anyone shitting in a suitcase. <laughs> I, I anticipate here's here's another prediction. Well, I don't know. I was gonna say I, I feel I, I want to say talk to him. <clears throat> yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> I needed that encouragement. I want to say that I think the murders mm-hmm. or murder is going to be more brutal. Really, this, this mm-hmm. season, like mm-hmm. it has that feeling of. I mean, obviously it was shocking in season one but it was also like so absurd leading up to it, right? Mm-hmm. Taking a shit in the suitcase and Armand just as a character is mm-hmm. just more like fun, right? And and fun to watch. This definitely has a feeling of like, you know, on the one hand we could be seeing like a Coen Brothers Fargo type of death where Tanya runs with a shower curtain over her face off a cliff, mm-hmm. right? Or we could get like a Scorsese, you know what I mean? Murder. Mm. Joe
1: Joe Pesci getting beat with a baseball bat. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh,
0: and so I, I definitely, if I had to push my chips, it's like, and I, I'm ready for. It. I'm ready for uh-huh. like Mike White to just go a little darker, right? A little heavier on the okay on the murder and give us a, a more kind of Scorsese.
1: Damn, son. All right. Well, we will. Bye-bye. See you next week. Bye-bye. 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 bye, bye. bye, bye. bye, bye, bye.